Each day as I travel back and forth to ZPC, and I live in Southport, so I travel back. It's about a 40-minute drive each day. I have a, I've been having a chance to listen to books. Whole new world for me. Not only uh, the, the book itself, but the voices that read the books have been very important. What I'm reading right now is one about a traveling uh, storyteller in Ireland. And uh, it's often difficult to know where the legend ends and uh, the facts begin. But uh, stories are wonderful. I believe uh, that I've heard uh, a a bard who is kind of a a bard of a modern day say that uh, stories are the currency of the street. Sometimes stories portray things that we like about ourselves, and sometimes they portray things that we wish were not said, maybe things that uh, make us uh, realize how fallen we are and how much we have to grow. Such is the case for a couple of stories I want to tell this morning, as well as the passage that I'm going to read from Scripture. You know, I deeply appreciate, and I don't know if you've thought about this, I'm sure you have, but that the Bible's stories tell us about people and don't tell us just the good things, but also tell us uh, the bad things. They don't pull punches. They share weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Let me tell a story that happened about 43 years ago. And Alice is in the middle of this one, so she's going to be blushing. So if you see her from the back, she's turning red, you know that uh, that's what's happening here. But about 43 years ago, Alice and I were married, and we came from very different backgrounds. I came from a blended family where there were eight children. We lived on a farm, and uh, money was really tight. Alice was an only child and came from a family where both of her parents uh, loved to shop and provide the very best that they could provide. Well, a couple of months after we were married, Alice and I moved to Louisville, where I attended seminary. Her parents were sure that uh, she would never be taken care of and that they would have to support us all of our lives. And so they made sure that her teeth were taken care of and they gave her a nice warm coat that they thought would last for a long time so they wouldn't have to buy another one for her for for quite a while. And uh, they were pretty certain that she wouldn't be taken care of like she'd been accustomed. After helping us move into her studio apartment, Alice's parents wanted to go shopping at a very nice department store. It's what they loved to do together. And they also saw how small that apartment was, and it made them realize how tough things were going to be for her. As they looked around, Alice, as she usually does, found just the right outfit. So, realizing that we were in a different era of our lives, when we were away from Alice and her mother, Alice's dad asked me, He asked permission if he could buy her that outfit. Well, out of my desire to be the provider, and also out of stubborn pride, I denied the request. It was an awkward moment, as you might imagine, when uh, I was talked to Alice about that just a little bit later. So Alice not only did not get that outfit that day, but for the next several years, her parents being sensitive to my feelings, didn't buy her a thing. I denied her the kind of lifestyle that she'd grown up with. As a quick aside, again, the prideful part of me wanted to be a provider, 
And so a couple of days later, after that incident, I went to that same department store, took almost all the money that we had, bought her the outfit, and took it home to her. Again, this isn't a story that I'm particularly proud of, and uh, as I realized what I denied her. Interestingly enough, Peter, the main character in the story of denial that I'm about to read, must have been reticent to share what happened. But it had to be Peter who shared this story, which is found in all of the four Gospels. Had he not shared it, no one would have known about it. Especially after protesting Jesus' prediction of his denial, Peter had to feel like a miserable failure when all was said and done. In self-defacing vulnerability, Peter told the story of one of his very greatest failures. As we continue this countdown to the cross, before I read today's passage, once again we're going to be looking at John 18 throughout this whole uh, series. That will be our text. Let me give you the setting. It's early in the morning on what we've come to call Good Friday. Jesus and his disciples have celebrated the Last Supper in the upper room as a part of the Passover, In a kind of last chance talk, Jesus has shared with them what he thinks to be most important. And then he prays for them. In tender words, in in John 17, he prays for them, and he also prays for us. And then, in a wonderful way, we see what happens next. We see that even though Jesus is betrayed by one of his own 12 disciples, that Peter stands up for him. Now, probably the odds are about 20 to 1. Peter takes out a sword, and he tries to take on probably the most feeble person there, one of the, uh, one of the uh, servants of the high priest. I sure hope that he was a better fisherman than he was a swordsman, for as he wielded his sword, all he got was the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus seems to put Peter down. He heals the ear and says, My kingdom is not one that will be brought about by a sword. Jesus is then taken to Annas. And Annas is one of the most ruthless power brokers of that day. After the Romans had relieved him after several years of being the high priest, which was the seat of power in Jerusalem, his sons and then even his son-in-law, Caiaphas, held that office by bribing the Romans. Almost like a mafia don, Annas and his family had run a very lucrative racket in the coming out of the temple. When pilgrims would come to the temple, they would uh, automatically inspect the offering that they were going to bring, say it wasn't good enough, and then sell them another offering for about four times as much. It was that injustice that caused Jesus to cleanse the temple in anger. He drove out the money changers. They had to snuff out Jesus. They had to get rid of him. Let's read the story of how Peter denied being a follower of Jesus from John chapter 18, beginning with verse 15 through 18, and then going over to 25 through 27. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Simon Peter and another disciple, and probably the other disciple was John himself, were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, 
he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And then moving over to verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. May God add his blessing, understanding, and even application upon this, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Please join me now in prayer. God, thank you so much for the joy and the privilege of being here this morning, early on this morning. And I pray that you would speak to us Speak to us in a way that's far beyond me. May your word come alive. And may you share with each one of us what you want us to hear. I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. I believe it was important for Peter to tell his story of denial. Again, Peter had Peter not told this story of denial... We couldn't possibly have known what had happened and the way it fits so well with what's transpired before. In healing the high priest's servant, Jesus made certain that there wasn't a warrant out for Peter's arrest. So Peter wasn't worried about that. I mean, Jesus had taken care of things, and so it seemed like no harm had been done. And furthermore, allowing himself to be taken captive Jesus seemed to deflect the attention from the other disciples. And this was also crucial. It was important if they were going to carry the message forward, if they were going to be heralds of hope to their world, it was important that they didn't get caught up in unnecessary legal proceedings. God was going to use these men along with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and others to be heralds of hope to their world. You know, we must give Peter credit, even though we've read about his denial. We must give him credit for having the courage to be there in the first place. Along with young John, he's the only one of the twelve who is there with Jesus in Jesus' most difficult moments. When one of of my favorite uh, biblical commentators talks about Peter, he talks about him as being a hero, and I think that's true. After being stopped at the gate by the high priests, as he went into the high priest's compound, Peter gains entrance when John comes back and vouches for him. I know who he is. And clearly at that moment, Annas and the corrupt religious institution felt like they had Jesus right where they wanted him. And so their, their whole attention was not on the disciples, his followers. They were amazed that Jesus had surrendered with very little trouble. And they are confident that they are now moving toward the end of Jesus' life. It's at this point that even though there doesn't seem to be undue scrutiny or danger, 
that the girl who's watching the door simply asked him a question, and it might have been out of curiosity. Hey, aren't you one of the disciples? Are you one of them? We don't know her motive, but Peter seems to be caught off guard. He was hoping to kind of be incognito, and so quickly he responds, I'm not. Peter's fearful denial is vivid contrast to what's taking place in the trial as Jesus is boldly giving a forthright statement about his identity to Annas. Then in verses 25 through 27, as Peter tries to be inconspicuous, and I see him as he's by the fire kind of putting his cloak around him so people won't recognize him as that kind of kangaroo court is taking place there, He must have winced when Jesus was slapped by one of the henchmen of the high priest. Or or possibly it was his Galilean accent that they recognized. For next comes another question. You're not one of his disciples, are you? And again, even more fearfully, Peter responds, I am not. A few minutes later, a man comes to the fire with them. And this man happens to be one of the relatives of Malchus, the the high priest's servant whose ear had been cut off. He had been there in Gethsemane when Jesus had been captured. He looks closely at Peter, and he looks him up from from bottom to top, and he says to him, Huh, you sure look familiar. Didn't I see you there in the olive grove? Visibly uncomfortable and fearful, Peter, according to Matthew's gospel, vehemently responds with curses and swearing. And he says, I am not the man. In wonderfully dramatic fashion, just as Jesus had predicted, we are told that a rooster crowed. Now, this could have been an actual rooster, or it could have been 3 a.m. And at 3 a.m., the sound would go out for the changing of the Roman guard. And it was called the crowing of the rooster. Luke's gospel says at this point, that Jesus, in the midst of the interrogation that's taking place, looks at Peter. Their eyes meet, and Peter remembers Jesus now predicting his denial. He quickly leaves the fire, hurries away, and being distraught in tears, Peter feels like a coward. The impetuous disciple, the one who had said when Jesus asked, Who do men say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now he realizes in this great moment of trial that he has miserably failed. He has denied even knowing Jesus. Peter must have been the one who told Luke and who told the other writers of the Gospels about this miserable failure. Why did he let others know the ugly details of his cowardice? and his denial. Well, I think that Peter wanted all of us to know that God can still use us even when we've denied knowing him. Just as Jesus prayed for unity for all who would come after him at the end of John 17, and that includes us, so I believe that Peter shares this story to point to a God who gives us second chances even when we have failed miserably. After running away in grief, maybe hiding alone for a few hours or maybe a day, Peter is with the other disciples. 
when the news of Jesus' resurrection reaches them in John 20. Well, we don't know for sure. I visualize Peter and the other disciples being in that same upper room where Jesus had washed their feet and had hosted the Last Supper. The doors are locked, but Peter hears the good news that Jesus Christ has risen, and we're going to be talking about that on Easter. While Peter celebrates Jesus' resurrection, and he sees and talks with him in the several post-resurrection appearances, there's that unspoken elephant in the room, as it were, of his denial of Jesus in one of the worst moments of Jesus' life. The guilt of his denial must have weighed heavily on Peter, gnawing at him in his waking moments and keeping him from sleeping at night. How could he have done that, he must have thought. It was at that wonderful breakfast on the beach that we find in John 21 when Jesus focuses on Peter and he brings him forgiveness and a fresh new start. We're going to spend time talking about that after Easter when we bask in the light of the resurrection. That was a crucial point for Peter. The rest is history. God would take this impetuous fisherman and would use him in ways beyond his wildest dreams. After the Holy Spirit came upon the early church at Pentecost, it was that rough-hewn fisherman, Peter, who preached masterfully in such a way that people were convinced and were deeply moved, and 3,000 people joined the church that day. Peter became one of the great leaders of the early church. In fact, he's the central figure of the first several chapters of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Finally, when the pressure was on Peter in the very last hours of his life, all he would have had to do is deny Jesus and probably he would have been released. But we are told, legend tells us, that Peter, when he was about to be crucified, said, I am not even worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And he was crucified upside down. Oh, it was Peter who was given the nickname Peter, which meant the rock by Jesus. It was Peter on whom Christ built the church. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for allowing this story of your denial to be told. Your hour of greatest failure in light of God's gracious love has become an encouragement and a challenge to each one of us. Now, what does this story have to say to you and to me today? First, I believe that it's important for all of us to share our faith stories with others, even the times that feel most shameful, just like Peter did. Several years ago, when I was a young pastor and my daughter Becky was four or five years old, I was working feverishly on a sermon on Sunday afternoon. I mean, Sunday afternoon, yeah, after it was finished. Saturday afternoon. Uh, and and it, was, uh, it was one of those pressure times. The week had been so busy that I hadn't had time to compose the sermon earlier in the week. And now uh, I was having difficulty, and I was in pensive thought. As I was in the kitchen, I had my books and my papers and everything sprawled across the table. Unbeknownst to me, my daughter Becky quietly came into the kitchen, 
She didn't want to bother me for sure, and yet she wanted to be near me. And so she went to the refrigerator, got a big glass of milk, and just sat across the table from me. And then something must have surprised her, or she must have had a thought, but as she turned quickly, she spilled her milk all over my emerging sermon. Now, the problem with that sermon was I didn't know how to get it started that day. But at that moment, as I saw what had happened, I said, Oh, Becky, how could you? I shouted with an unmistakable look of anger written all over my face. She froze. Huge tears swelled up in her big brown eyes as she quickly tried to fix what she had done. But she realized it was useless. Before she could run away in tears... God allowed me a grace moment as I realized what I'd just done. I was denying the truth of the sermon, and the sermon title for the next day, the whole theme of the sermon was Interrupted by Love. I caught her in my arms as she was about to run away, and I had a chance to hold her tightly and tell her that she was more important than any sermon I would ever preach. By the way... That story of what happened became the opening that I couldn't find for the next day's sermon. It could have been surnamed, Don't Cry Over Spilt Milk. I must admit, even as I remember that day more than 30 years ago, i got to tell you, I feel remorse. I feel shame. I feel guilt as I think about the way I responded to my sweet daughter. By my actions which no one else would have known about, I was denying the very message I was going to preach. Does that sound familiar? I can't speak for you, but I find myself denying that I know Christ often. I deny that I know him when I hear a racially insensitive joke and I laugh or at best am silent. I deny Christ when I am callous to a disaster taking place, like the tornadoes which hit southern Indiana. I deny Christ whenever I see someone in need and I pass by that person. I was talking with a friend last week. This friend was on the great banquet that took place that I was a part of the team of last week. And uh, he said that he was really moved by the visible way in which God worked. And I asked him what difference it had made in his week. He quickly replied that it had made a huge difference. He said, I'm more open in the most positive ways of sharing my faith through word and deed with my colleagues. Conversely, we deny Christ when we don't let Jesus be seen in us and heard in us on a daily basis. It's almost as if we don't know him. We deny that we're followers of Christ when we succumb to temptation and do those things that we know are wrong. We deny that we are followers of Christ when we speak words of gossip or we demean someone else. We deny Christ when we hold grudges, believing we can't forgive someone who has wronged us. Do you see what I'm saying, friends? It's not those people out there who have who deny Christ, those people like Peter, it's you and me. Only you know exactly how you deny him on a regular basis. 
I like the quote of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he captures this idea from his Gulag Archipelago when he says, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and if it were necessary only to separate from them and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? As we see ourselves in Peter denying Christ, do you see Jesus' eyes meeting yours like they did Peter? If so, in genuine repentance, I challenge you to confess the ways and times you have denied Christ. Be thorough. Don't pass over anything. Then are there stories of denial that you need to tell others like Peter did, like I did? It's good to hear stories of people of faith who are broken and vulnerable before others. Be sure of this, my friends. The God who forgave Peter and gave him a second chance wants to forgive you and me for the ways that we have denied our awesome Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Christ can use you and me in ways that are beyond our wildest dreams, just like he did Peter. God wants to make you strong in the broken places so that you can be a herald of hope to the world in which you live. If there are things that you would like to pray about when we are finished today, I would encourage you to go to an area that we have set aside by the cross, and there there will be people who would love to spend time praying with you. Please join me in prayer. Good and gracious God, as we spend these moments together today, I thank you for the example of Peter. And somehow Peter must have told this story often as it was picked up by all of the Gospels. We realize that in his vulnerability, he became strong. And God, we realize also that we deny that we're followers of Jesus. Especially in the world in which we live today, sometimes it's tough to stand tall for you. It's tough to know how to positively share in word and deed that we are your followers. Forgive us, God, for our timidity. Forgive us for our fear. Help us to trust you more. And, oh, God, I pray that you would use my sisters and brothers here in a powerful way to witness to you and to your resurrection in Jesus in the days and the weeks to come. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.